Hello and welcome to Behind the Bar of a Pint of Cthulhu with another interview with one of the other Cthulhu Dreamt teams, or team even, Strato Magnus. Would you like to say hello quickly? Fair play. So we always break the ice with this first question. It's nothing too serious. It won't uh, hopefully rattle the brain too much. But if you could say a Pint of Cthulhu was any type of drink, what would it be? Oh, it's got to be a stout ale. Not the first time we've heard that one, but fair play. I mean, obviously it's Cthulhu, so you've got to pick something dark. True. Although I suppose a Bokran Imperial stout would also work. Hmm. Oh, Jade, you want to start us off with the first proper question then? Alright. So, what's your first TTRPG? Was it Dungeon Dragons, Pathfinder, or something a bit more niche? <laughs> So my first ever uh, would have to have been Dungeons & Dragons, but it was specifically second edition with house rules, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, owing largely to the fact that third edition didn't exist yet. So I've I've been in the hobby for uh, some time, we'll say. (laughs) Uh, That said, where I really (laughs) cut my teeth was a few years later in Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, that's brilliant. You'd have to uh, give us a rundown on that one. I've not played that one before. I guess, oh, Joe, uh, you have. A lot of uh, political intrigue and personal horror as you play as a, a vampire fighting against the beast within. Yeah, I've played the video game version, <laughs> to be clear. The video game does a nice job of showing you the world itself, but there's so much more freedom and flexibility in the uh, the tabletop that you can do all manner of mad things. So, seems like you're now working with the Cthulhu Dreamt. What? How did you get involved with that? What was your in, as it were? Uh, so I've been working with action fiction for a bit now. Uh, I joined the team around the time of the second Monsters of Merca book, which is our, our sort of flagship product. Uh, and I joined that one to write some comedy, uh, just parodies of... American pop culture and food and retail writ as fantasy. Um, and then as a result of that, I, I just stuck with the team because we, we discovered we got on quite well. And shortly after that, we mentioned Cthulhu Dreamt and uh, Jaren, who you may have heard, isn't the greatest at handling horror type of stories. Uh, he mentioned it and I immediately jumped aboard because I... Uh, I quite didn't know horror. he was a bit squeamish on horror. Oh, he didn't mention that. Well, that's interesting. No, <laughs> well, we haven't actually had him on yet. We keep trying oh, to wrangle him, okay. but uh, he's very elusive. Fair enough. Yeah, he's a he's a bit uh, squeamish with some horror elements. He he admits that freely. In fact, one of the stretch goals we had just as an extra because we ran under things, and this was not an official stretch goal. It was a casual one. Was uh, Jaren played a game of phasmophobia on stream live during the kickstarter of uh, restaurants and retail and uh he, he did scream quite a few times <laughs> always some good fun so the Cthulhu Dream team is pretty big at this point um what have you i'm assuming you haven't written absolutely everything that's been <laughs> written for it i i have not not yet uh, anyway so which ones have the special touch from you 
Uh, so the things that I've uh, been most interested in have been a lot of just the the world itself rather than the small details. Uh, so uh, were, were you asking which ones I had more fondness for, or which ones I'd involve myself in? I, I just realized I'm not quite sure which way I'm going. I don't know what works, but <laughs> which ones you uh, have written for. Fair enough. Uh, so the bits that I've written for are mostly the world building, particularly uh, the Dr. Alia Mudemir. She's, uh, she's got quite a bit of science, and at the outset of the project, a lot of it was just left to the hand-wavy kind of, this is, oh, it, it's science, but it's advanced science that we can't really understand. And I was brought onto the project, and I looked at that and said, well, hang on, I can actually address this and explain how it works using science that we don't have to hand-wave. So that's uh, most of where I've been involved. I've written a, a few mock science papers, and I've got a few more that I'm still putting the finishing touches on that uh, Reed wants to include in the uh, in the novel as well. Mm, yes, we've seen the novel preview. Have you had much interaction with writing any of that, or not so much yet? Mostly just helping to explain how things work so that, or how things would work so that the not the person handling the novelization has an easier time of writing those details. And we figure if I get in quickly enough to where he hasn't written quite all of it, it gives him an easier time integrating whatever hypothetical science I've come up with that week. Mm. So that pretty much leads on to what we're going to ask this. What kind of challenges do you face when translating your ideas into the actual like storytelling, and how do you like overcome them? Now that is an interesting question to ask because I I've actually uh, prior to working with action fiction, I was a bit of a screenwriter, worked on a couple of uh, projects, and sadly, not a lot of my work has managed to make it in front of a camera. But uh, I was working on a science fiction project, and I I will admit, I have largely borrowed ideas from that project and brought them over to Cthulhu Dreamt and so it's uh, it, I, I kind of cheat a little bit because they're already halfway written <laughs> by the time I bring them to Cthulhu, Cthulhu Dreamt but yeah. uh, the physics uh, particularly the, the harmonics uh, the convergence and the entanglement uh, all of which are words you, you'll have likely seen on the Kickstarter page uh, but not had context for uh, these are coming about through how I'm applying the physics into things. Yeah, fair enough. That experience <laughs> has got to be helpful with the whole Cthulhu, you know, eldritch horror, but also mad science vibes that are going on. The corporation's getting up to shady science. Well, how the, you... uh, the, the... Oh, go on. Oh, but by all means, continue your question. I didn't really have much to go on there that we can't cover later. <laughs> so, that experience has got to be helpful, but it is very different knowing that the players can go completely sort of off the rails so to speak in the scenarios going a bit mad with it and of course you've got to leave kind of gaps and try and anticipate what you'll need your dm or the other creators will need to move it uh yeah that's a really good question um the other, so the other role that I have with action fiction is I do a lot of the balance testing and the play testing. So uh, I know you had your session run by snails, uh, but most of the time we're doing these public play tests in the Discord. I'm the one facilitating. So I do have oh. quite a bit of experience with players who want to take things off the rails. Uh, so I, I'm sort of 
primed and ready to look at, well, how do I make something enticing? Because the lovely thing that a lot of players don't always notice is while they may be inclined to try and derail things and take things in a completely different direction, you'd be amazed at how often just rather than telling them outright, just planting a little seed, a little hook, will cause them to latch onto that and think that they're going completely off the rails in a different direction, but in reality, all they've done is taken the bait. That's really quite clever. Um, so you say you you facilitate your playtests. Um, have you listened to our one? How would you compare it to the ones you run? So uh, I, I did listen to a bit of it, and you... You've gone largely in similar directions to the way the ones that I've run have gone, uh, largely because the the threads are sort of transparent. It's pretty easy to latch on to where the story is going, and the way we've built the journeying mechanic is it does always kind of lead to the same place. We're, we're definitely playing with the all roads leading to Rome kind of thing and how we're building the, the sojourn system. Uh, but you definitely have taken some interesting <laughs> approaches to it, uh, and... I, I've run two myself, and neither of the two groups did the same thing. One was much more antagonistic toward one another and distrustful, uh, where the other was... Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played yet, but let's let's just say that one particular player uh, decided to be something of a saint during the final encounter. <laughs> oh. Bit of self-sacrifice then, by the sounds of it. You won't find that with us. We're all pretty much trying to kill each other. <laughs> But, you know, both are completely valid in a horror story, and that's one of my favorite things about what I what I love about horror is the fact that it, it's absolutely reasonable for people to decide, no, I've got to make sure that I survive, or for people to say, no, you know, if we work together, we'll all survive from long. Both are completely valid, especially when you start adding in that layer of, oh, can I trust this person? Is this person working for the corporation? Is this person infected with something? Is this person out of their entire damn mind? So that's, uh, it, it's really interesting to see that coincidence of, well, are the play styles going to converge? Are we going to have one person who is absolutely out for themselves, ready to throw everyone else off the cliff at the first convenience? Or are we going to have everyone just actually working together? Hmm. I mean, following on from that, what do you think then makes a memorable gaming experience then? what What's your key points that you would say would make the game memorable, enjoyable? Um, well, uh, again, speaking from someone with 20 years, 20 plus years experience in the hobby now, uh, the biggest thing is, while a lot of people say the, the biggest detail that makes something memorable is something unexpected, but... What I found makes things truly memorable is the immersion. As soon as someone completely decides to have a moment as their character, forsaking the mechanics, forsaking everything else, but really connecting with their character and connecting with the setting, never fails to create something that people will remember. Nice. So a lot of TTRPGs have a kind of... They kind of use their backgrounds and their settings like classic set pieces, you know? D&D's mm. vague fantasy, Middle Ages-ish arena. A lot of the other TTRPGs are like... Mm. How about like the Call of Cthulhu's stuck in the 1920s or an approximation of it. With Call of C uh, Cthulhu Dreamt, sorry, being in the modern era, but also being, you know, not the real world, there's eldritch stuff going on, there's weird mysterious corporations going on. 
How do you decide what to keep and what to change to create an interesting setting that's set in the modern day? Oh, now that's a lovely question. <laughs> so as far as deciding what to keep and what to lose, it, it a little bit of idealism does come into play, but also a little bit of just kind of a nihilism can come into play with that because obviously when it comes to things like technology or think that manner of things we're, we're going to have that bit of optimism of oh well computers are going to be smaller and more powerful or things will be simpler better technologically but at the same time the nihilism of well, we are creating a dark setting so it stands to reason that socially economically politically things are going to be a bit more harsh more cruel so how do we make it a bit more brutal without making it entirely unsustainable, unsurvivable, while still giving us more of the technology that is a little bit better? It's it's almost like doing the, the cyberpunk equation just with a much smaller outcome, because cyberpunk, they've long marketed themselves as high-tech, low-life. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. It's just running in that general direction and then stopping. <laughs> Hmm. So with that, is there anything you've found particularly challenging or rewarding whilst creating Cthulhu Dreamt? So, I mean, it's always uh, it's always rewarding to be involved in a creative project, um, just because it's it's just kind of who I am as a person, and being able to work on storytelling, even from a side angle, is always just something that I love. I'm, I'm very passionate about that sort of thing. So that's, as far as rewards go, just being involved in any project is uh, something that uh, I love to do. Um, now, as far as challenges go, uh, a lot of it has been just kind of holding myself back, sort of, so to speak. Uh, just not suddenly setting aside time, calling into my day job, and just running off 20 or 30 other side stories in one yeah. go. So, we know now that you've had experience screenwriting, and that's definitely led into how you've approached creating Cthulhu Dreamt. But are there any important skills you think that a TTRPG writer should have? Ah, uh, so the biggest one there is social knowledge, just social awareness. Being able to look at things in terms of how are people going to interact, because when it comes down to it, the biggest obstacle I've seen a lot of parties in TTRPGs run into is less to do with the the world itself or the encounters or the monsters or the puzzles and more of the group themselves. So you've, when it comes to designing for TTRPGs, you've got to sort of find that fine line of how do I create a situation where the characters and the players can all each feel engaged with the story and still able to share the spotlight is the biggest thing because you as far when it comes down to it the numbers are going to be numbers and you can always rebalance an encounter and rebalance anything else but what you can't do is rewrite a story to allow for more freedom flexibility and still let everyone feel like they're all equally invested nice hmm. were there any scenarios or creatures or most likely tech, pseudoscience, that you have been inspired by any particular kind of media? 
Like anything you're pulling from, like, anything from Star Trek to Saw, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so I haven't been involved with the, the creature design yet. I've got a couple that I've, uh, I'm sitting on for now that I'm going to kind of add into the mix once we get a little further into the stretch goals, I think. Uh, but a lot of my work obviously has been the science and I, I've had a lot of fun with, with that because there's bits of it that I do draw from uh, Star Trek and Stargate in particular, but also uh, just my own understanding of things. I've, I'm, I'm quite a voracious reader and I've read for the life of me. I'm not sure why I thought it was a good idea. I just kind of drifted from topic to topic reading, uh, but I, I read a little bit of uh, just quantum field theory and things like that. Uh, in amongst all the other things that I've read, so the uh, one of the big things that I've I've taken to, and one of the big reasons why I got involved in writing science here is the idea of waves and resonance like sound. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So it uh, I, I pitched the the idea of just alternate realities as kind of quantum sound waves, and Ooh. naturally, as soon as Reed heard about that, uh, it needed to be involved. <laughs> Because if we can suddenly integrate the idea of travel between realities being related to sound into a game based on a heavy metal album, it just seemed right. <laughs> yeah, nice match up there. So there's there's even a little bit of the uh, the Star Trek, uh, the transporters in particular, uh, beaming people from one place to another. It, we, we've got a little bit of that, but it's less about the concept that is used in Star Trek of where you're tearing down a person molecule by molecule and then reconstructing them elsewhere, and more of just bombarding someone with sound until they're resonating differently. That, I've read a little bit of Lovecraft's initial, like, his actual stories that a lot of, you know, Call of Cthulhu, possibly Cthulhu dreamt a bit, that Lovecraftian horror is based on. And mm -hmm. that's something that you kind of feel. He doesn't ever actually say it, but in stories like was it the color from outer space and stuff? Mm -hmm. It kind of feels like, yeah, it's resonating on a different frequency. Exactly. And uh, uh, the story of uh, Johannes Gustafsson uh, is one of the ones that was uh, a bit of inspiration there. It's just a man who found himself going through all manner of horrible places, even Rillier itself. Uh, managed to escape all of it and then died when he was hit by a bundle of papers to the head. Yeah, uh, but uh, his story—the descriptions he felt of how everything felt wrong in every new place—just he was dizzy, he was disorientated. That plays a lot of how I played that because, if you think about it, what can disorientate someone better than just suddenly hearing a loud and deeply unfamiliar noise? Yeah. Funny you should say that because <clears throat> I'm not sure how true this is, but is it not the fact that on the ISS they have to? emit a frequency so that mimics like Earth's natural frequencies because otherwise it was making the astronauts anxious. Yep, uh, the, there's actually truth to that. The, you get accustomed to a certain level of noise and you, you can almost see it uh, to a lesser degree when people move from, say, the city into a village or the village into the city. They, they, they can't quite handle the difference in sounds because it is a completely different soundscape than what they're used to. The vibrations are different even, uh, because in the city you've got the constant vibration going of all of the vehicles on the road, all the construction that's going on somewhere, so there's this constant hum in a city that you don't get when you're out in the countryside, whereas someone who's used to the countryside would be naturally completely rattled being in the city. So it's, imagine that 
but on an even deeper level, because there's always this inherent vibration of the Earth itself, this natural, just kind of atmospheric vibration. And imagine if everything were missing, including that, would be yes. deeply, deeply unsettling. So yeah, they, that is a, there is a bit of truth to that. I wonder then, if in the Cthulhu Dreamt Universe, being near an entity from another reality would be like being near one of those bits of machinery that there's like a couple of machines that vibrate at a certain frequency that induces like paranoia in people. Mm. It's such a quiet frequency that you can't consciously hear it, but it does have a noticeable real effect on people's mood and psych. I wonder if just being near one of the creatures from out of our reality would do that. I'm going to answer that by saying I can't tell you that we have such a thing because Ooh. I can't tell you that we have such a thing. I am so excited for that then. Oh, now you've got us intrigued. I mean, it's uh, it, it's still in the Kickstarter and it's uh, we've got to leave a little bit of mystery for folks. But uh, yeah, the, you, you, if, if that's an idea that you're re really fond of and want to explore, um, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> Hell yeah. So... To get back on the main topics, I guess, unfortunately, since we legally cannot talk about this any longer. <laughs> Do you have an absolute favourite thing, either like a city or a setting or a scenario that you've written for Cole, uh, for Cthulhu Dreamt? Uh, so this is going to be, um, so we, uh, as you may have seen, we've recently, uh, we've, we've hit the stretch goal that has us adding additional encounters into the story. And one of those is mine, and I've decided this much I can share without spoiling anything or ruining anything, any experience for anyone. Uh, my story is going to be set in Iceland. Ooh, in a little I've been there. village. It's a little tiny village out in the middle of nowhere. It's completely made up village, obviously. It's not, not based on a real place, except it's based on the ideas of certain small villages. And uh, I've created that one as well as a character that exists in this place, an employee of Saline Wealth. And... I quite like what I've done with him. Um, I, won't, uh, I won't spoil what I've done with him, but uh, or even for that matter, what his name is. Uh, but there's there's quite a bit there that will really beg the question of what the real evil is. So here. That sounds interesting. Uh, so one of the other things that we do have that I pitched at one point, uh, we've not yet written it or made it happen, but it is something that I'm looking forward to the possibility of is another encounter with a built-in traitor mechanic all right so just another extra thing to change up how the game play happens in those encounters because they are side stories they're not part of the main campaign so you can feel a bit more free to do other things with them and if they're if you've got one that's written to be a one-shot where there's no real consequences to that particular story why not have a bit of fun with it so i like the idea of having it be where there's this po underlying possibility that someone else in the group is secretly something completely against the interests of the party. Is this along the lines of the the beginning role in um, Springfield Nocturne where it determines who is infected and who is not? So, um... That might be a bit of a major spoiler for the playtest. Uh, so for for what I've got uh, for what I've pitched, there is a possibility for that, but there's also possibility for a couple of other things, and that's 
In a world like Cthulhu Dreamt, there's always multiple interests involved. Um, and I, I, I pitched the idea of really taking advantage of that. So in the same way that with um, the Dungeons and Dragons Magic the Gathering crossover Ravnica, where there's this possibility of a secret Demir agent who doesn't even know that they're a Demir agent, I pitched the idea of every possible faction or interest each having the possibility of one of their agents being involved in the story. Hmm. You've left us with quite a bit to think about on that one there. <laughs> I, I really like political intrigue in games. Uh, games like Secret Hitler are a lot of fun, uh, just trying to deduce what everyone's doing. And when you layer that on top of a story you're trying to get through, trying to figure out, okay, well, yes, I've got to figure out if my mates are trying to kill me, but also that thing right in front of us is definitely trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of playing with players' priorities is something that I felt in the one-shot we did as well. Uh, it's great to Quite do things like that uh, when it's not part of an extended campaign because that's how feelings start to get hurt. I don't think we can hurt any of our feelings. I think we've ended up probably killing each other multiple times. Oh, I don't know. I'm still salty at Cartman over a certain pet death. True. <laughs> it can happen. So, how how do you feel about the fact that the Kickstarter funded within half an hour? I could not be more excited about that fact. It's it's funny. I laid out my clip. I, I uh, I've got two action fiction uh, logo T-shirts, and I laid one out just for kind of good luck on a superstitious. And I went and I put it on, and then I checked my phone to see how we were doing because I, it was about half an hour in because I'm on the late shift for where I am. And uh, I looked at it and said, oh, I'm, I'm not sure whether this shirt truly is lucky or if I just didn't need to bother. <laughs> we're, we're, we're already there. We're 100% at only 30 minutes. All right. Let's see how far we can take this. So it's been an incredible upwards journey so far. It's been absolutely beautiful absolutely beautiful to see and that gives me tremendous hope for uh i mean we, we are uh, ultimately at the end of the day an independent company and we are still rather small um but it's always beautiful to see a success event like this because that gives me all the more hope that we'll be able to push this even further and i'll finally be able to say okay well this is what i'm doing now this is all i need to do I can turn off my alarms, hand in my badge, and just stop going to work at the day job. <laughs> the dream for everyone. <laughs> yeah, <isn't it> just? <laughs> but yeah every, every time we are successful, every time we, we see something like that, I feel like we're just that one step closer to where I can actually make a living as a creative and as a storyteller, and that would just be beyond lovely. I think that's an aim a lot of people would love to have. Mm. So the main goal got filled almost instantly, but there are there are still stretch goals to consider. Absolutely. Are there any of the unfulfilled ones that you're super excited for? Oh, uh, let me double check because I'm not. I can't remember all of them because uh, I'm not the one who's been uh, writing the stretch goals. So let me have a quick look so I can remind myself of just what we've got on the roster. But yeah, I there's one of my favorite things to see is when we. 
have even more of a budget we can allocate to our artists because I love seeing these illustrations they come up with. It's just so unsettling in the best possible way. Uh, so let's see. We've got we've just unlocked the right arrays. Uh, we've got oh we've got uh, plans for the detailed world map, more side questing, and oh the the audiophile class vinyl that one's. So yeah, I, I'd say the the more side questing and writer rays, I, I love uh, that so much, uh, just because getting more and more people the opportunity to interact with our world and create more stories that people can then go and experience is just absolutely wonderful. And the more different takes on this, because I, I love anthologies, especially when they're written by multiple people, just because you can see how everyone interprets the same kind of idea. So to see. Mm what we can possibly get out of another three writers even just creating their own visions of just something happening in this world it's it's quite a bit like um what was the name of it uh, the matrix uh the animatrix oh yeah i know those so you, you had very very completely different stories from one another but each of them were tied into the same world and they did such clever things with their interpretations so to have the opportunity to let people come in and say, okay, well, I see this world. You've got this morally questionable corporation and you've got this underlying horror and you've got this science going on. What can I do with this? And one of the other things that I'm also looking forward to seeing is I hope we can find writers with more experience in different parts of the world because I, I want to see, okay, well, yeah, we've got we've got this big corporation, we've got uh, Cthulhu just hiding in the background. And, you know, it's great to see you know, what, what's going on in North America, but what I'd really love to see is, well, yeah, that's that's fine. What's what's going on in Madagascar? What's going on in Japan? What's going on in Australia? What's going on in all of these places so far away and different from what people are expecting in the main storyline? Yeah, because, I mean, the old ones showing up would be a bit of a global disaster phenomenon. Ab absolutely. Cthulhu doesn't respect borders. <laughs> He doesn't care. He's not going to stop at one country. He'll go oh, to another. Oh, oh, this is this is the border. I don't have my pass. No, Cthulhu's not thinking about pass. <laughs> it would be hilarious if he did, though. But I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love a comic about that. But <laughs> Cthulhu in a wee Hawaiian shirt, a straw hat, going on his holidays. <laughs> Cthulhu without borders. <laughs> oh, so if you were, I don't know, to see a someone looking to write their own adventure their own actually I own yeah if someone was gonna you know write their own sort of one shot or you know little customized campaign for Cthulhu dreamt at some point down the line would there be anything in particular you'd want them to keep in mind oh uh, well the biggest thing that I'd want them to keep in mind is probably just the reality that there nothing anywhere in a setting like Cthulhu Dreamt can happen completely in a vacuum. So everything anyone does anywhere has ripples. Even even the little side stories, uh, there's no requirement, obviously, that it have a, a macro impact that affects the main campaign. But at the very least, anything that happens nearby should be affected. So if someone sets something in, say, Norway, I'd like to see the, at least some mention of what goes on in the other. So taking the opportunity, looking through the story, familiarizing yourself with the world, and who knows, maybe maybe folks will put together a wiki for it all so people can keep track. Uh, but I'd like to see that level of interconnectedness. 
Sort of a butterfly effect, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. And kind of semi-related to that, I guess. There's a lot of different TTRPGs out there and they do a lot of different things. Some are horror, some are adventure, some are plain crack. Is there any TTRPG like style or genre or gimmick that you haven't seen that you just really wish existed out there? Ah, so that, that one brings me into another thing that uh, a little fold of the back burner. I like the idea of decisions that people make having lasting impact on the world. So one of the things that I like to do in my home campaign and a thing that I'm, I'm working on kind of a book, just giving ideas of how to do it, is the idea of a calendar of calamities. So the, the, the thing I like to do is I like to actually record how many days pass and what occurs, and I'll have certain events that I plan to have happen on certain things, and have them happen whether or not the players interact. So the players can choose where they go, and if they interact with something happening, or maybe they'll speed something up. But I like the idea of when you get to that final session, all of the decisions that people have made, all of the big decisions to interact with the people have made, all kind of come back to show how they impacted things. And one of the things that I love to do is I love keeping notes of every major decision people make, everything that's done that could have ended differently. Because when we do the, the final wrap-up at the very end of the campaign, it's only happened to me twice, just because scheduling issues are the ultimate enemy of any TTRPG. Uh, but I like to tell players, okay, so, how do you feel having gone through all that? How does everyone feel? Okay, now let me show you what didn't happen. Mm. What you avoided, or what you kept from happening. I feel like that's especially important in such a dare setting as... Well, not apocalyptic, but like near apocalypse, mid-apocalypse, I guess. Mm -hmm. A setting is completely dreamt because there's going to be a lot of times where players make decisions that end up fucking over huge swaths of people, and it's a lot less obvious when they manage to save folks. And that's that's the other thing that I like doing is just putting that information in there. Especially one of the things that I did that drove my players absolutely out of their minds was the realization that one of the people that they saved ended up kicking off a whole other series of events that caused trouble for hundreds of people as a result of it. Mm. And they, they had to live with the realization that, okay, yeah, you did that, but here's the consequences, because everything in this setting, everything in this game had had consequences. And for, 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 for uh, Cthulhu Dreamt, I mean, it'll be pretty easy to show what the consequences of success and failure, certain decisions. Uh, more so with the main campaign than with the side stories, but I'd love to see people really dive into the idea of everything having consequences. Um, well, just to close us out now, really, what kind of future projects do you have in the works, and what can we expect to see from you yourself in the future? Uh, well, we've got uh, quite a few things. Uh, over at Action Fiction, the next thing we've got on the plate is a board game that we've decided we didn't want to choose between cooperative or competitive, so now it's teams doing battle against one another in kind of a almost a Defense of the Ancients kind of environment. And uh, I've, I've written a lot of the world history of that one. A thousand years of history, it, it wasn't meant to be a thousand years, but I fell into a groove and uh, no one bothered to stop me. Uh, then, of course, we've got uh, a, an anthology of solo journaling games in as many genres as I could possibly cram into a single book. 
And uh, beyond that, I, I may or may not also be working on a deck building game. Ooh. I like to keep busy. <laughs> it does sound that way. Well, thank you very much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, we wish Cthulhu Dreamt even more success. Hopefully it does hit the... Well, I know Rhyme has got uh, up to 200k, I think, on go on goals. Let's that hope it hits that high. does not surprise me in the slightest. He's, he's very, very confident in ability, and I, I hope that we can reward his, uh, his faith in us. Definitely. Well, thank you very much again. Uh, Jay, have you got anything else you want to add to that? Nope. Well, this has been a Pilot Cthulhu signing off. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Excellent.